This is a Socialist News and Views special interview. I'm Nick Schillingford coming to you from the Urban Cabin Studios in South Minneapolis with this special interview. If you haven't listened to part one of this special, have a listen to part one first. Hey, Nick. Thanks for having us again. Yeah. On Socialist News and Views, we let folks introduce themselves. Uh, I will let you all introduce yourselves individually, but I just wanted to say great to have you back on for part two of Nurses Forward. Uh, Again, Nurses Forward is a reform slate, rank and file slate running uh, for the Board of Minnesota Nurses Association. Uh, Now, I know there are some folks on here tonight that couldn't be on last time. So, yeah, do you all want to go ahead and introduce yourselves again, where you work and what position you're running for? We'll start at the top of the slate with the first vice president position. I am Shiori Khanna Muhammad. I am a cardiovascular ICU nurse at North Memorial Health Hospital with 16 years of experience. Now I'll go next. I'm Tammy Anderson. I'm um, running for a director position. I work at North Memorial and I've been there 33 years on a orthopedic med surge floor. I can go next. I'm Becky Nelson. I work at Abbott Northwestern Hospital. I am a steward and a CAT team member there. um, And I'm currently an elected, um, I'm in an elected position with the big M&A, which is unique for this slate. I think I'm the only one um, so I am the chair of the Commission on Governmental Affairs. I am not speaking on behalf of m tonight. I'm. We are talking to the slate, of course. Um, what else? I think I've been at this about 22 years now. I work in the PACU at Abbott. I can go next. Um, I'm Jamie Wicklin. I'm in the neonatal ICU at Children's in St. Paul. I've been there for 23 years and I'm running for a director position on the board. And my name is Melissa Cole. I am a nurse at Children's Hospital in St. Paul, Minnesota. I have um, been there for 35 years and I currently work in the case management department. I am running for the second VP position of the MA board. Hey, everybody. This is Jill LeBrun. I am a pediatric nurse at Riverside's um, Masonic Children's Hospital. I have been a nurse for 25 years. I gained another year here recently. And um, I am currently running for MA's um, board of directors treasurer position. And my name is Alexia Hitchings. I have been a nurse at Abbott Northwestern Hospital for 11 years. Um, I've been at the hospital total for 17 years. And I um, I am running for a director position. I'm Megan Madison, and I am from Riverside. Um, I um, work in the adult med surge unit, and I've been at Riverside for 10 years. I've been a nurse for three of those 10 years, 
and I'm running for a director position. All right. Is that, that's everybody, right? Thank Yeah. So it, it, it is, this is Becky. I forgot to say I'm running for the secretary position. So there you have it. Sorry. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So I was able to attend the uh, campaign kickoff that you guys had um, not too long ago now. And uh, I know when I was there, um, we were talking a little bit about, um, you know, kind of that people in the community don't necessarily know what nurses actually do, um, which is, uh, you know, and nurses do a lot. Uh, there's a lot that we uh, do um, within the hospitals or other settings. Um, and I was actually just at a public reading in an, of an interview that I did talking about my experience uh, of the hospital during the height of COVID and the COVID pandemic. Um, and I think a lot of people were kind of surprised at that point, what goes on in the hospitals and how things run or sometimes don't run, uh, uh, that great. And uh, do a couple of nurses just want to kind of give a rundown of, you know, what, what your experience looks like at work, what your, you know, shift looks like. So people kind of have an area of, or kind of have an idea of what, you know, these areas are that people are working in and what, um, you know, what kinds of challenges they might be facing. And there's positive things too, right? <laughs> it's not just, it's not all challenges. We do have, uh, you know, we do get to work with patients and and do a lot of good things too. Sir, this is uh, Tammy from North. Um, I work on a medical uh, surgical unit, primarily orthopedics. Now we're transitioning to um, bariatric surgicals and um, spine surgicals as well. Um, so we're kind of expanding the surgical area. Um, I work overnights, so 7 p.m. to 7 a.m., 12-hour night shift. Um, I've been doing that for about 13 years um, with the flexibility of since I've been there for 33 years, I um, can have shift of choice. Um, I choose to work nights. Um, it works best for me at the moment, and it allows me to work uh, part-time. But typically when I get to work, you know, we have an assignment made from the previous charge nurse or the current charge nurse. Um, gather some information about each patient, um, can get a little dicey around change of shift. Um, people still need to use the bathroom and people still want pain medicine while we're changing shifts. Um, we do have a half hour overlap, um, typically, uh, from one nurse to the next, which allows us time to speak to one another. Um, we're supposed to do bedside handoff, which you go into the patient's room and discuss what the plan is for the next 12 hours, what has happened in the previous eight or 12 hours, um, kind of involve the patient as much as we can with that plan. So everybody's kind of on the same page. Um, in that 12 hours overnight, I can tell you that patients do not sleep. Um, they are up, they still have needs, they're still hungry, they still want pain meds, they still need antibiotics, um, they still need to get up and walk. Um, they're it's not a hotel, we often say. Um, and yeah, as we progress through the night shift, it does get a little bit quieter, you know, some nights. Um, but from the previous day on our unit, we have 20 beds on our unit and we can have anywhere from 10 to 12 brand new surgicals every day. So um, the surgical department is very good at um, less than 24 hour care. So uh, they could come in one day, they go home the next day, and there's a new surgical in that bed within a couple hours, typically. Um, and it's all in the timing of getting patients out, getting doctors 
orders ready during the day shift. Um, we're still discharging patients at, you know, five, six, seven at night, um, still getting admits from the ER even overnight um, to fill capacity. So uh, we are at capacity pretty much all the time on our unit with our 20 beds. So that's my shift. I think Becky's going to go next. Yeah. Hi, this is Becky. I work in um, a recovery room at Abbott Northwestern Hospital. I actually technically work in in perianesthesia. So I perianesthesia is a big department that involves pre-op, post-op, phase two recovery. And then um, we have two operating rooms, two completely separate operating rooms that take care of different kinds of patients. So I'm trained also to that phase one recovery area. So um, I can work all kinds of crazy hours. Um, Our first shift starts at 545 in the morning. Um, We get there just after the patients do and they're starting to get roomed for the day. Um, I work a 12 hour shift schedule and I work 0.9. So that's three 12 hour shifts a week. Sometimes they're all together you know, and I work almost a 40 hour week in three days. So that, you know, can be exhausting. We also have a call requirement on top of that. So um, I could take a call shift on the weekend. I could take a call shift on a weekday. They don't really ever, um, they try to allocate those shifts fairly, but they never really give you a choice as to when you take call at all. So I'm, um, there's a lot of uh, just, there's a lot, lot less freedom in your schedule than you think there is when you work this sort of a job. Um, I have a small weekend requirement. We have some holidays. Um, basically, my day goes, We, it, I could come in, prep some patients. They may send me about at 11 o'clock, they may send me to lunch because we do actually get lunch breaks in the PACU. That is one place in the hospital that actually does get lunch breaks. But I could come back from lunch and they could send me to a different area. So I'd be doing a completely different job. I could be recovering patients um, in our main recovery room or up in the up in the cardiovascular recovery room. Um, which is a specialty area for us. Um, I could even be floated to a third area um, during that 12 hour shift. We're not, it's not considered a float because it's all within the same department. So there is no um, economic benefit for me to really learning how to work four areas. Um, it's just something that we kind of have to do. Um, I sometimes work charge, which is a whole nother ball of wax. Um You know, and occasionally folks will get stuck at the end of the shift with the patient. They'll have to stay the night or part of the night until a bed gets open um, because the hospital is so full. That sort of stuff happens regularly. We are staffed, I would say right now at Abbott, maybe with 25% of our staff or approximately in the last year or so has been uh, traveling nurses. So we've had, they, they keep saying that we have all of these positions open, but we don't see them posted and we see travelers coming on board instead. So we're not, we're not really sure what the plan is to keep actual paid staff by the hospital round. Um, They don't tell us a whole heck of a lot about our jobs. Um, But, you know, I really enjoy the patient care area. It's, it's really um, 
sort of a niche and what I really do love to do. But there's a lot of issues with the job that are just kind of goofy. The other um, major thing, I guess, is that we have when our recovery room gets over full, which is lately happening almost every day, they put out like a 911 page is what I would call it. They, we call it a capacity page. But basically, they beg staff to come in um, and work just like as many hours as they can. They can work even like two hours. They can work up to four hours just to get people through the recovery room and up to the floor potentially. Um, so that is, you know, you get pr a premium pay for that. But um, when they're asking you to do it every single day, it's just not something that... Um, is a good thing for people because if you do go in to make the extra money, you are working absolutely the busiest three or four hours that you possibly could have worked because they're, they're definitely needing the staff and they're short. So um, it's, it's a little bit of a different um, feel of patient flow in the recovery area or in all procedural areas, but, um, and folks think our job is a little easier, potentially or because we um we do get to go at home you know at night for the most part we don't have to work in the middle of the night i would never have the option to work straight nights like tammy does um but there are still concerns you know we have all the same concerns that the rest of staff does well yeah i think melissa's gonna talk a little bit to this and then jamie and then maybe we'll move into the next section melissa um, so like I mentioned, I'm one of the case managers at Children's, so my experience is a little bit different than the other nurses um, uh, from Nurses Forward. Uh, my primary responsibilities are discharge planning and um, utilization management um, at the hospital. Uh, for discharge planning, um, our biggest challenge is the lack of resources in the community to care for, for kids with complex medical needs. Um, the shortage of nurses um, doing home care is um, by far our biggest obstacle, and we have patients waiting in the hospital for months on end, waiting to get enough home care staff so um, parents can at least sleep um, or potentially keep a job while um, while still caring for their their kid with a lot of medical needs. And the primary reason for this is. Um, the wages that home care nurses get are about half um, of a nurse working in a hospital. Starting wage for an RN is about $25. You can maybe get to $28 an hour. And you are, in many cases, running an ICU in somebody's home with um, very little support or backup. And um, that is all run um, by the legislature and how they. Um, uh, how they reimburse for patients with Medicare or excuse me, Medicaid in, um, in home care. So that is um, the number one challenge that I face every day as far as discharge planning. And then um, related to the utilization management, um, that's dealing with more of insurance. And um, I think the general public would be surprised um, to hear and see how much insurance really pays for things during um, a hospital stay, what percentage of the bill that they actually pay. Um, and 
Again, a lot of that is um, driven by the contracts the hospitals have uh, with the insurance companies, but they also just deny stays and decide that for whatever reason, they aren't going to pay for a patient's stay. Um, and it takes a lot of time and effort to argue why a patient needs to be in the hospital, why they need the level of care um, that is hospital-based. Um, and we can't send these patients home because they don't have care available at home. Um, between insurance companies and the hospitals, they are floating around these hospital at home or virtual nursing concepts where they'll get you home and set you up with some monitors and have a nurse sitting um, somewhere, someplace, uh, monitoring you in a completely uh, separate facility um, and are trying to call that healthcare. Jamie? Um, mine's pretty simple. It really is the lack of resources that we have in the neonatal ICU. I'm one of our transport nurses. It's a specialized role. There's 20 of 180 of us that actually have this role. And what we do is we go to all our high-risk deliveries at United right across the hall. Um, what our hospital has done is they've moved our neonatologists, our nurse practitioners, um, and our respiratory therapists all over our three campuses. We're in St. Paul, Minneapolis, and then up in Mercy. There's a little ICU up there as well. Um, and so there's no consistency. We now, because of that, have lost many of our providers who were very specialized in this pretty um, unique population that takes quite a bit of schooling and experience just to kind of get a handle on. And so because of that, we rely on travelers. Um, for our first time ever in the last year and a half, we actually fly people in from New York to be neonatologists on a weekend night shift. And the first time that some of our providers and our nurse practitioners have shown up and the pager went off for a delivery where a baby was not breathing, they didn't know how to even get over to United. They had been shown. They didn't have badge access. They were locked out. So just the nurses show up. And then if we do have our respiratory therapists on, um, you know, they're there with us as well. I think that's been our biggest challenge is just seeing how um, when we bring up concerns about this and how we have always functioned at the highest level with the highest skilled people, it really only takes three people to resuscitate a newborn. We can't even get the right staff to come in to be able to do that. Um, so I think that would be our, my biggest thing is just the overall lack of resources um, even handing down to, we don't even have secretaries who can answer phones anymore because they've all quit. And so the nurses have to take over answering the phones. The only reason that's a big deal is we actually admit our infants ourselves. Our admitting department that does admissions through the rest of the hospital doesn't do it for the NICU. So the nurses have to, not knowing how to do it, go on the computer and put in all the information or otherwise you can do, you can't access their chart. You can't order anything on these critical infants. So it goes all the way down even to the secretary level that we don't have enough resources there. Yeah, you that's, know, just, yeah, just that's to terrible. piggyback on what Jamie was saying, like this is Jill um, LeBrun, just to piggyback on that is like we don't have secretaries. We have always brand new staff. Like I think that is our biggest challenge too. It's just like the lack of um, experienced folks because you can have somebody who's had a nursing job or a nursing assistant job, but if they haven't worked at your facility, like there's 
so many pieces missing to just like effectively and seamlessly do the job. And, you know, it's really exhausting for staff, but then it's also really exhausting for the patients, you know, and the families. Um, I work pediatrics, you know, as I mentioned before, and like just constant turnover of people. We're not, you know, we're, we're viewed as really replaceable, but the ex- you can't replace experience. Right. And to piggyback off that, Children's Melissa put also on a comment, um, has a third of the nurses at Children's right now have under two years experience. We used to have 98% of nurses um, were there until retirement. And so it's uh, shocking and it's eye-opening, I think, just to see where we're at right now. Yeah, that's terrible. Um, you know, the, I mean, and yeah, these issues are all across the board. Uh, you know, this is happening at different lots of different hospitals, lots of different settings. And in the middle of that is a nurse who does so much, who does so many different roles already before they even do the roles of these uh, staff that aren't there anymore. Um, You know, as we heard, nurses are doing so many things. Now, in response to the staffing issue, in response to a number of these other issues that were talked about, um, 15,000 M&A nurses went on the largest private sector nurses strike in U.S. history last September. Uh, that lasted three days. Then on December 11th last year, 2022, there was also a plan for a three-week strike that was planned to go over Christmas. And at the last minute, that strike was averted and a deal was reached. Can folks on this call talk a little bit about the organizing effort that y'all put into the campaign for a contract last year and also your thoughts on how those events played out, the resolution, and you know the ongoing fight that everybody's in to, to get staffing? Sure. Go ahead, Jamie. Okay. Um, So for Children's, we had started some organizing and some frequent Zoom meetings that happened in the beginning of the pandemic because children's uh, children were affected a little bit differently. So our hospital actually furloughed or basically, you know, told people that they could stay home for quite a period of time in the beginning. They promised them that they would come back when things picked up and then they rescinded that promise. So we had a lot of nurses, a lot of other, you know, providers, respiratory therapists, all all of our ancillary staff that help us um, who were told they'd come back and then children said, yeah, we're not busy enough. And so we're not gonna take you back. So many left. During that, we were trying to figure out how do we get to the nurses and staff who um, are sitting at home? They can't access, some of them couldn't access emails at work. And so we thought of coming up with frequent Zoom meetings. Um, so we did daily Zoom meetings during the beginning of the pandemic, which continued. Coming up into 2022, we built on that a little bit where we started, instead of focusing on the separate, separate campuses, you have St. Paul, Minneapolis, and then Mercy, um, we did all nurse Zooms, we called it. So every day after bargaining, we would do an all nurse Zoom and we would give the update that happened that day. And then on Monday evenings, we would have another time for people who couldn't get to that update. And we would update them then and give them time time to think about questions that they had. Um, This continued throughout all of bargaining. It was very effective. People really liked it. The other thing that we did is with our communication, you know, teams, our CAT structure that was set up, we had nurses in each unit who wanted to be involved but some of them were scared to get involved because they didn't have experience. And so we told them if they wanted to just reach out to 10 people themselves, and that was all they were going to do is let them know the information that we would forward if we're having Zoom meetings, if anything was important, just to kind of on a low level spectrum, get them involved. 
and then started to encourage them to get involved in the metro um, cat structure where all the hospitals were coming together and talking about what was happening. And more and more people started feeling comfortable doing that. And we were able to kind of get into all the units um, since, you know, we were busy at the table and couldn't get around to each individual nurse. Building that structure, I think, really helped. But I think it also brought all of Children's together, that it wasn't just Children's St. Paul, Children's Minneapolis and management saw that. And then we started having nurses on our team reach out to nurses on the other teams and trying to just communicate one-on-one ourselves about what was happening, um, which kind of built through last year. And I think that actually has kind of led us to this part right now too, where we've built some relationships, but we're also starting to reach out and thinking ahead for the future a little bit. Yeah, Alexia, do you want to talk a little bit about this? Yeah, um, I have a, I agree with what Jamie was talking about. Um, my experience actually started in 2016 when um, Abbott went on, Abbott Hospital or Alina Hospitals and Systems went on strike for six weeks. Uh, we, um, that was very disorganized, very chaotic. Um, I had two young children at home. I was just lost. There was lack of communication from the negotiating team. We were not organized. It was awful. And when those six weeks were over with, we went back to work and we were very bitter and very angry. So then, um, with, with, uh, this, most recent strike, it was the complete opposite. I mean, we were organized. There was so much communication. I was, I got involved in the CAT team. I didn't know in 2016 that we should show up to negotiations and actually look at the, at the hospital teams and then be there and support our negotiating team. I mean, it was such a change in feel and it was just nice to be empowered and i think that's i i want to keep that i mean so many people walked away from the most recent strike and when we went back to the hospital we went back to the bedside it was like we can do this we can stand together we can be together and it wasn't just alina standing alone it was like We'd walk around the hospital and wave at Children's, who was right across the street from us. It was, it was so nice to have that community and support out there. So that's that's, I I really, it was a night and day difference for us on how negotiating ended up for me and my family. It's just it felt good. I appreciate that. Does anybody else want to talk about this? Uh past year and then uh and then we'll move into the future portion sure i'm gonna add to that the cat structure also so it was very effective in organizing nurses in each unit at north memorial that i saw you know we did um you know the a lot of work we did as a cat member was you know just to say get the you know nurses to come to the negotiation or you know there's like a different issues that's being discussed weekly at the negotiation so like you know whoever that's really have a concern a particular issue 
we talk to them and we're just like, you know, can you come and speak in front of the new management, you know, stuff like that. You know, we also plan for information pickets. So it's just the first like um, escalation from just a going negotiation was that information picket that we did in June. So this is sort of like, you know, practicing for possibly going on a strike. You know, we make sure we have nurses to come out and to take a shift and be committed to come to the shift. So we spend a lot of time preparing for that. And I also just want to talk about that. You know, you did mention going on a strike. So doing strike, you know, it's not just as easy as negotiation didn't go well, let's go on strike. You know, we prepare for weeks before that. You know, when we started to look like we might need to go on the strike, you know, first thing we did was strike education. So that CAT team spent a lot of time with the nurses in the cafeteria. We rounded to do the strike um, education. And then we did a strike assessment. When we go on a strike, we need to have a supermajority of votes to authorize a strike. Uh, but in reality, you know, we really need to have like a 80 to 90 percent of nurses to agree to go on strike or we just not going to have enough to pull off the successful strike. So it was really cru- uh, it was crucial to do strike education and assessment to make sure the nurses are on board with us. Um so these are the, a lot of things that just kind of happen in a background that, you know, I really personally did not know until I got enga- um, I was engaged um, in this. And then, you know, later in the year last year, you know, before we talked about going on the second strike, you know, we really have to spend a lot of time asking nurses, like, what are you, what would you stand for? Like, you know, was that a wage that a parental leave? Is that staffing issues? Like, what would you go on the strike for? Because depending on what the negotiation team, you know, what what the members wants, you know, negotiation team's going to have to push certain issues, you know, more than others. Then if we didn't know what the nurses are willing to stand for, you know, we can't do what we're supposed to do. So um, I just wanted to share that um, all this many works that was, you know, being done in the background to make this happen. Thanks, Yuri. Yeah, that absolutely, absolutely correct. Absolutely important. I think uh, Jill wants to speak a little bit as well. Um, it's Jill. I, as to what Shiori said, you know, it really, um, when things not stalling, but as it, you know, bargaining took longer and longer, you know, month after month last year, um, nurses really started to have despair, feel despair. And, you know, when we did those strike assessments, um, Megan and I, along with a lot of other great stewards and cats, um, you know, we were attending negotiations and um, nurses were wanting to move forward with striking um, and they were done playing the games, what felt like games week after week after week, you know, where we would sit around and we would wait for, you know, management to talk to us and to bargain in good faith with us. And then when it wouldn't happen that week, and then we look again to the next week and it just went on and on and on. And nurses started to really say, you know what, forget this, like we're done. And, you know, when we were talking to nurses and hearing this, 
and going back to our negotiating team, you know, elected to represent our nurses, um, you know, they, their, their job was, you know, um, in part to continue bargaining. However, we were telling them, no, nurses are, nurses are getting to their, they're fed up and they're done and they want to move forward or they, you know, they want to talk about moving forward. And that's, so we did those strike assessments and, you know, we had a hard evidence and, and, um, information about what nurses wanted to do. Did they want to strike or not? How long did they want to strike? What did they want to strike over? And, you know, nurses felt empowered. And when we delivered that information back to our labor rep and our negotiating team, that was the answer. That was it, you know? Um, and that's where the power lied. That's where the power, you know, was in, in our decision-making, which is how it's supposed to work. Um, and so, yeah, that was, that was a really powerful thing to go through for sure. Yeah. And just again, for people that didn't listen to the other one or aren't familiar, you know, the steward is the elected, uh, you know, representative of the workers at like a unit level, um, that can, uh, you know, again, represent them, communicate things to the negotiating team and others, um, communicate with management on behalf of workers on the unit and the cat is the contract action team or communication action team, depending on, uh, which version you prefer. But again, they're communicating back and forth between negotiating team and then the unit level folks. It's the folks that agree to, you know, talk to 10 other people on their unit about what's going on with contracts. Does anybody else want to talk before we move forward? So I do. Oh yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So uh, one thing that has been um, on one of the negotiating teams that and this is uh, Melissa. Yes. Yeah, sorry. Uh so I was fortunate to be on a negotiating team at a hospital that um, it was very well organized um, coming off of the pandemic and things that were happening at our, at, at our facility. And it was apparent when, um, you know, you had all these hospitals trying to coordinate our bargaining, which, which facilities were doing the work which facilities were organized and which ones were not. And um, I I believe we were very fortunate that we walked away with the contract that we did in 2022 um, because not everybody was on the same page or as organized and ready to, to mobilize that um, that some hospitals were. And I think that's a, a big piece of our, our platform and what um, our group is really hoping that if elected, we can push forward and make it, make it um, an expectation that each, each bargaining unit is prepared to mobilize at a moment's notice that has, and that they have a good understanding of what their members want. And um, because that's the only way that you can effectively and accurately represent the people that elected you to do this job. Um, so it created a fair amount of frustration and conflict amongst um, all of the negotiating teams when um, we had facilities that were not organized that were um, blocking movement um, at bargaining at others bargaining table because they weren't ready yet um, and would kind of slow down 
momentum. And it was really challenging. And um, I think if people who are interested in listening to this, take a look at our platform, you'll see that there are a lot of things related to organizing. And um, that, I believe, is um, one of the key reasons why it needs to happen. Yeah, and that's fantastic. Um, let's see. Uh, Alexia wants to just uh, chime in a little bit, and then we'll get into the platform a little bit more. Uh, to go off of what uh, what Melissa was talking about, um, the organizing aspect was critical. Um, I think maybe my hospital was one of the hospitals that was not as organized and on the same page. But with our organizing, we were able to actually force, I felt, force our negotiation team to maybe try and listen to us. I think our negotiating team uh, had some other ideas uh, that um, our negotiating team was not on the same page as the cat. They weren't rounding. They didn't talk to the nurses. Um, I never, I probably at the second most amount of time rounding and talking to nurses and how are you feeling? Do you have any questions? Do you even know what's going on? And quite a few of the nurses were like, who's our negotiating team? So it was a lot of education that we had to do. But through that education, we were also like, hey, you know what? If we show up, not only are we putting the pressure on the hospital, but we are putting pressure on the negotiating team to represent what we want at the table. So I think, I think when Melissa was talking about how some hospitals were not quite as organized and put together, I think in, in the end, that was kind of our hospital, my hospital at it was one of them that uh, where we were really struggling to get organized because our negotiating team wasn't listening to us and wasn't part of it. So in the end, we were able to come together and really force both parties. I think Jill has one more quick thing to say, and then we're going to uh, go move into the next piece here. Shuri, Melissa, Alexia, everybody else. I have so much respect for you, ladies. I mean, everything that was just said is just so, so important and how it ties in to everything we're, we're, we're set to do. I mean, I just, you're amazing. Um, you know, I, I also want to point out that, you know, recently, um, there was a comment made about how, you know, that the negotiating teams and, and those guys, you know, they do work hard. They do do work, obviously. However, you know, the negotiating teams are nothing without the members. Right. And, and so, and I've had to remind the nurses at Riverside, like the negotiating team didn't, didn't win your contract. You won your contract, right? You brought your issues forward. You, did the strike assessments and did the strike vote. And 
you know, you went out on strike, your dues paid those stipends for our negotiating team, your dues paid for nine months of meeting rooms, nine months of meals for the staff and for the, and for the negotiating teams. And, you know, the accountability that needs to happen in this process. I mean, this is like Melissa said, this is top priority, one of the top priorities for us. And that has members, nurses need to know they won that contract. Melissa's right. You know, it could have gone a very different way, but because the nurses held strong and did everything right, that is why we got those contracts. Oh, I, I see Tammy wants to speak a little bit and then we'll move on to the next question. Then we'll move on. This is just going to be really brief. Okay. Kudos to Jill and Megan. They did not have a cat structure at the beginning of contract negotiations and they whip-whapped um, their team together, the two of them, and they got their crap together very quickly. And for that is why they're on our team. Get it done. Thanks, Tammy. That's fantastic. And yeah, that uh, all this stuff gets into the next part. We talked uh, about a number of parts of the Nurses Forward program or platform uh, last time, uh, but I was kind of picking out some specific parts that I thought was important. You know, clearly nurses on the slate here have a track record of organizing, um, you know, but I think sometimes when people run for positions uh, within a union, not just nurses union, it can be hard for members, especially if they're not as engaged uh, historically uh, to kind of differentiate between different candidates. And there's really not even a great history uh, in, in the unions of, of candidates having a specific platform. They kind of run as individuals sometimes. And I think when they do have a platform, sometimes, you know, again, across all the unions can have um, some specific buzzwords, you know, they want to improve staffing or they want to hold management accountable. And now I think the Nurses Forward platform really goes a lot further than that. Um, and I'd love if some folks could just pull some, you know, a few specific parts out of the platform that you feel going forward you know, have the potential to significantly change for the positive, you know, how the union operates and and, and how it's able to, um, you know, deliver for members and nurses. Melissa? I think um, one part of the platform that um, was uh, really speaks to me is um, with building solidarity. And I know all of the folks on this call, we want the um, the bargaining units, no matter how big or small, to feel that their issues are equally as, as important and that their voice is heard and that they um, have access to the board and the board is willing to listen to them. Um, I had reached out to um, some of the leadership at m and shortly after our contract settled um, and had asked for help. I had actually put it out on one of the websites asking if if nurses and chairs at other facilities would be interested in getting together and talking about the challenges that you're having with um, implementing some of the contract language that, the, that we won. Um, children's got some pretty good contract language regarding staffing although we're finding it much more difficult to implement than we had anticipated and assuming that other places were experiencing the same thing. I had reached out to leadership at M&A saying, you know, we have nurses that are willing to, that want to do this and want to engage in this process. Could you help me um, 
put a Zoom together and be able to reach out to all, you know, other facilities throughout the state and um, no response repeatedly. And, um, you know, there's so much that we can learn from each other, um, what our challenges are. Um, I'm sure other facilities are having them, how they face those, what what was successful for them. We all have the opportunity to learn from each other, which will um, make us all stronger, will build solidarity, will keep us organized. And um, as a, you know, 22,000 nurses in MA be able to move forward um, better and stronger, but we need um, M&A staff to be held accountable for that as well. And it's the board that holds them accountable. And um, that is something that I, I think our group would really like um, to see happen. I think Shuri's going to speak and then Becky, Shuri. Yeah. And I um, talking about holding people accountable. I think one of the things that we have in a platform, I think that is going to be huge, is establishing an ethic committee to oversee board of directors, to ensure our union is operating at the highest ethical standard. You know, we cannot continue to let the board of directors making questionable decisions or disciplining members for speaking up, you know, any of that. I mean, we cannot let them do all this without any consequence. So I think you know, there's got to be some checks and balance in place. So I, I think, you know, as somebody who's wanting to be in the board of directors, like, you know, I want to be held accountable. You know, I want to make sure that my action is something the membership is going to be able to, you know, um, agree with. So if, you know, we need to have a system where internally we can, um, we can, you know, see what's going on with the board of directors and able to point out if there's anything that needs to be changed to be able to point out because, you know, I think as elected positions, we have to be held at the highest ethical standard. Thanks, Yuri. Uh, Becky? Hi, it's Becky from Abbott running for secretary. Um, I am really... Um, motivated by our platform point that um, it talks about building a transparent and democratic union. I've been working in the elected structure at the big MA, um, the .org part of it for three to four years now. And um, the way decisions are made are not um, even really visible to the members at a lot of times. Um the board will come down with a decision and you don't really have any idea of the um, the thoughts or the debate that went into it or uh, really anything about how they how they're making their decisions at all. Um, there's a lot of uh, policy points at the big MA that are just completely silent on issues. You'll go into the documentation um, and the union records and the policies and look for something. Um, to address an issue that you have, and there just is nothing there. And it continues to get more frustrating because they continue to hire more management staff to deal with these sorts of issues, but they're, it doesn't appear that they're um, they're very effective yet, or whether or not they're going to be effective at all, I think, is, is a question. Um, and 
I think a lot of what is going on with the big M&E right now just comes down to um, wanting to maintain the status quo, wanting to maintain um, positions and notoriety um, and utilize the, the stipends and the, the, the perks of the positions that are elected um, instead of actually making the union run well and making policy that makes sense. Um, I particularly motivating for me is the fact that we have had more than one um, higher uh, visibility members and member leaders be just removed pretty unceremoniously from their positions after some pretty, pretty shady, pretty sham level um, proceedings. And it's, uh, I, when there's guidelines on something like removing a member from a position and it's not followed or it's silent on it and they picked the and they choose the absolute worst disciplinary action they that they possibly can um that is the sort of thing that is happening you know what we expect out of our employer um fair proceedings progressive discipline um basically to keep our jobs unless there is an absolutely terrible circumstance that occurs. Uh, the union isn't operating like that right now. They're operating, I would say, on a um, really on a worse basis in some ways than our employers do. So that's that's kind of where I'm at with wanting to fix things. Um, really, it's a lot of the issues in the union, including the organizing, because the leadership is so bad, comes from the very top. It comes from the top down, and it's something that needs to be fixed at the board level. There, I don't see any other way of that happening. Really appreciate that. Yeah, it's absolutely just unacceptable, and uh, to take those extreme actions, especially without clear, you know, some kind of clear policy that they'd be following. Uh, do you want to speak, uh, Megan? Yeah, I've got a couple of things I can speak on. Um, sure. There's a couple of things that are really important to me, um, one of which is education. And we all know that education is power. And we have a lot of nurses who don't understand how the union works or how it could work if we all stand together. So part of what we want to do is work on educating everyone to a level where everyone understands how to use that power. Um, we want to focus on mentorship and building relationships between experienced members and leaders so we can grow the next generation of nurses who know how to use that power and bring about change. Um, just like we want to re retain bedside nurses, it's the same thing. They have experience that experience is valuable and it's a valuable resource. It's not just one bargaining unit. Um, if one bargaining unit has experience that mine doesn't, we can learn a lot from them. Um, instead of having to forge a path on our own, it's not our best interests to gatekeep and keep secrets from each other. We are all in the same union. And to kind of speak to Becky's transparency point, um, I think we really want to see a marked improvement in transparency in the board of directors. It's also not in the union's best interest to only have a few people with power and control. Um, like she already said, checks and balances. Um there's a lot of closed door meetings. They happen very often. And while we don't need our employers to get information, uh, it's not necessarily that that the only thing that we have closed door meetings on or that the board currently is having closed door meetings on. 
it's things that are not to the benefit of our membership. Um, so we think our membership should be informed and educated and have an opportunity to get involved and question things that don't sit right with them, right? So we know from being nurses, it's our duty to question things that don't seem safe or ethically sound. It's not just when we're punched in at work. If our leadership isn't accountable to members, then we don't have anything other than totalitarianism. And that's not what a union should be. And that's not what we what we want. I really appreciate that. Uh, I didn't see anyone else specifically that wanted to jump in. So I was thinking about moving on. Um, you know, I think you were already getting it kind of something else I wanted to talk about, which was, you know, last time we talked, um, there was discussion about the cease and desist letters going out that were received by members. There's been discussion about formal discipline against members and including removing members uh, from positions or from good standing. Um, you know, and since the last, uh, the part one that we did, um, I had listeners and others who were, you know, concerned about this. They said that they, um, they thought it was very concerning that this was going on and also were asking, you know, what's going on is, you know, is there more to, to say about that? And so I just wanted to ask straight out, is there any more that you guys can share about the discipline or reaction from those in power to the slate or any other things that you, that have been going on recently with that? Uh, Shiori's going to speak. Yeah, on that. I just wanted to speak a little bit about um, um, just the recent things that happened to us. Um, in the last few weeks, we were called by election committees um, to uh, investigate investigatory meetings of some kind. And that um, four of us, I think, in the slate were called to the meeting. And then some of us did go in and in interview. Some of us, you know, basically said that actually it was, you know, I would just speak for myself. Then I said that I could not... Um, uh, agree to the blanket confidentiality of the entire uh, interview that they were going to conduct they, because they insist that I had to agree with the confidentiality. So I decided not to agree to that. And so I didn't go through. Um, so uh, we don't know what happened to this investigation, um, but it just to that definitely heightened our concerns. Um, to be called for investigatory meeting. Um, and um, they uh, refused to say what this was about. You know, they didn't give me if there was any challenge, if there was any complaint um, at all. And uh, what I know from talking to, them, talking to them briefly was that it had to be with, you know, potentially somebody, you know, some factors affecting some of us to run, some of us decided to not to run, some of us to decide to withdraw, uh, withdraw from that nomination. You know, they're just, that's what they said that they're investigating on. So um, I just wanted to share that. It does happen. That again, none of us have been told the investigation has concluded. So I don't know if anything come out of this. Um, but um, yeah, so. I'm going to have Becky... Becky's going to jump in too, but I was just going to say, so it sounds like it's already had a, you know, sort of chilling effect. Um, you know, just the, just the threat of the investigation has had a chilling effect on some folks, you know, involvement in, in what's going on. And that's really unfortunate when, you know, the big thing is trying to get members involved in what's going on with the, the union. Becky, do you want to talk a little bit about this? 
Yeah, I mean, I am personally, because I'm in an elected position, I'm trying to work through the structure, which I am rapidly losing faith in. But um, we, I, a couple, I'm going to say it was 2021. I believe it was three years ago that I floated a um, resolution that was basically going to revamp the disciplinary policy at the Minnesota Nurses Association. And it, it was... Um, voted down by not a lot. I think it got like 42% of the vote. So it was close to passing. Um, and now that more disciplinary issues are coming up again, that I, I'm going to float that again. So that is something that is actively happening, you know, through the structure, um, whether or not we are going to be able to um, mobilize folks to to vote for it this time or not remains to be seen. But I do think because issues are still occurring, um, we have a better chance now. You know, I, I think it, it just really speaks to how you just really have to keep going. You know, something bad happens and you can't fix it. And you might sit there and stew for a while, but eventually those problems keep coming up and you just have to keep going. You have to keep addressing them. And these ladies um, that I'm running with seem to be the same type of people. And um, we really just want to make, we want to make stuff run the way it's supposed to um, is the basic um, gist of what we're trying to do. We are also running at Abbott Northwestern, a local slate of candidates. Um, one of the members that um, was removed from, from membership uh, is at Abbott Northwestern. And that was really pretty high profile. And um, it was very unpopular. The board made an extremely unpopular decision. And part of the reason was because the process was awful. So um, we are not running on that as a platform, but we are running <clears throat> to clean things up with the knowledge that the bargaining unit does know that things like that are happening at the top. So um, that's kind of where we're at at Abbott anyways. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I know, you know, obviously, uh, again, I think, you know, you would all like things to move smoothly and be functional and be able to use, you know, these uh, um, systems and, uh, you know, uh, channels that exist uh, to do positive things. So it's unfortunate when things come up that, uh, you know, make that difficult. Um, I didn't see anyone else that wanted to, um, specifically share on that, um, topic. Um, again, I really appreciate you guys talking more, uh, about this and, um, you know, is there anything else that anyone does want to share, uh, before we wrap up, before we go, Joe, I think wants to, uh, come in again briefly here. Um, Hey Nick. So yeah, just to, you know, answer your question, um, as best as we can, you know, the, the concerns about that you had asked about, I think were in regard to the, the member from Abbott who got her membership suspended, right? Sorry, I was still muted. Yeah, that was def yeah, that was uh Okay. What people and, were asking. Yeah, and then about. you guys got some cease and desist letters and then they did yep. talk a little bit about the investigation. So those are all things that were, you know. Yeah. I mean, so to answer your question, I think right now, like, um, the answer is that, um, you know, that member brought concerns to leadership um, and was met with hostility. 
And um, this happened after she had announced her candidacy for first VP. Um, and, you know, I think we'll, we'll leave it at that. And then we do want to um, point out that ballots for this election will be going out mid-October, October 15th, I believe. Um, and they go out in the mail um, and they are due back um, November 15th. And uh, you can also vote online. Again, I really appreciate everybody um, speaking and the, the fact that we were able to get some more folks from the slate on tonight to talk a little bit about, you know, this uh, this important uh, work that's going on, this reform slate, this uh, rank and file slate that's uh, nurses forward within the Minnesota Nurses Association. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks, Nick. Thank you for having us, Nick. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, Thanks Nick. Thank you. And that's our special. Thanks for listening. As always, if we get additional information that wasn't covered in this episode between uh, recording and the release, we always have that in the show notes. Solidarity. This has been a Socialist News and Views special interview.